cleverly, donks. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. Oh, yeah. We back, baby. Trust us. We back. It is Morning Combat, and it is Friday, April 23rd, 2021. The best thing going in combat talk today, period, right? The cure for the common show. We back with a bullet. My name is Brian Campbell, CBS Sports and Showtime, the labels that are paying me just fine, by the way. Thank you very much. The man next to me who on Fridays allows the orange backgrounds, allows Fridays with BC to become a reality. He is my partner in the foxhole of life and this shark-infested business where two worlds, rival nations, often do come together and collide. It is CBS Sports and Showtime's Luke Thomas. And Luke, it's not just Friday. Ain't got shit to do. Uh, we're 24 hours removed from the fight business coming back in a big way with UFC 261. <laughs> BC, why are you dressed like one of the guys that blew the Tiger King for meth? <laughs> well, that was a good one. Okay, that was that was a good one. Uh, can we can we clue the people in, Luke? Uh, first of all, I'm I'm uh, I, I'm not coming off a red eye flight, but I mean, I woke up on the buck crack of dawn to. Uh, where, to, to like, let's back up a step. I, I didn't even realize you were doing Ring City yesterday because you were at home in Connecticut. Where the hell did they put the Ring City show last night? NBC Sports Network last night, Ring City USA. We were back West Point, New York, the United States Military Academy. It was such a, uh, a fun and unique event. We had cadets lining the upper tier of the famous Hayes Gymnasium there. So uh, that show went late. I got up super early. I raced home to be here, Luke. So... Uh, me just throwing on whatever I can find. You opened our pre-show telecast, which is not, you know, open to the people by saying, hey, BC, you do know that's a violation of the terms of our flag-burning laws or some bullshit. Look, where I no, come from... Bullshit. 1942, the, the U.S. flag code was established as a way to preserve the honor and integrity of our U.S. flag and the way that it is treated by its military, police, and citizenry. You, you are Monday. in direct yes. violation of that. Yeah, well, okay, Luke. Well, if the National Guard knocks on my door during this interview, Luke, where I come from, people put flags on everything, bro. Like that that weird paper wraps around a hot dog, you know, if they serve it to you, there's probably yes. even flags on that, okay? I know. Nothing speaks to American ignorance more than parading the flag in violation of the actual code behind the flag. But, you know, what are you going to do? It's right, nice to Luke. see you, BC. And, I, and by the way, I'm glad you're here and you're hosting today. And I feel better than I did on Wednesday. I feel great. So uh, let's do some MK, huh? Yeah, let's 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 vaccinate the world, Luke, with our knowledge, entertainment, all that good <laughs> stuff. I mean, you know, you've heard of Tuesdays with Maury, Thursdays with Luke, pretty decent. Mondays with the cringe is the worst, but Fridays with BC gets you <laughs> juiced and amped, Luke, for the big time fight. So we're gonna touch all the bases of 261 today. I'll do a little dead wrong, maybe touch tips by the end of it, but this will be uh, quick. Live, local, late-breaking, in your face, this show to get you ready for the weekend. Quick housekeeping news before we kick things off, of course. Uh, why don't I tell you a little bit about Showtime? Great label, right? 30 days free, and you're going to want to check it out. Why? Because Showtime is your home for combat sports. Showtime Championship Boxing back May 15th uh, with a lot uh, a loaded excuse me, spring, fall, and summer line of fights coming your way. But we're talking about Bellator MMA. May 7th, one place in the world you can watch Rumble, Romero, the Bantamweight title fight, all the good things going on. Go to Showtime.com slash Bellator MMA, free for 30 and then $4.99 a month for six months after that. 
Uh, it really doesn't get any better than that. You can check out the docs, check out a movie, all that good stuff. Store.show.com is for our merch 1.0 line. Uh, this is as comfortable, form-fitting, uh, sustainable materials you can find on beanies, shirts, sweatshirts, all that good stuff. Uh, obviously, we're a couple weeks away from the launch of 2.0. A little bit more personalized merch line going to be available to more than just 48 states. Okay, so get ready for that one. We'd like you to subscribe to this video, to like it, to join the army that we're building. Uh, people say no more Noah's Ark references, BC. Okay, well, look, floods coming regardless, right? And we're going to be here leading you in the proper direction. So join our team by subscribing to this video. You can follow us on social below. Uh, watch our resume review that we recorded this week, Luke and I, going two hours deep on the great career and the unique career of Jorge Masvidal entering Saturday's title rematch. Luke, before I get serious here, any other bits of ridiculousness you want to share? No. Oh, uh, we'll get to my article that I sort of wrote. It's not much writing, actually, uh, a little bit later, so we'll plug that. But uh, no, dude, I'm ready to get this thing going. All right. Uh, Y'all want this party started, right? Y'all want this party started quickly. Right, UFC 261 pay-per-view, Jacksonville, full house, sold arena. We got a little taste of it ahead of the triple header of title bouts that are leading this card into the new era of of safe watching, in-person, full crowds, all that good stuff. It was the press conference on Thursday. So, Luke, as we start this preview, I wanted to get more X's and O's and storylines. But yet, Thursday, we had the first sit-down trash-talking, full-crowd affair media present that we've had in a long time because of the pandemic. We had Jorge Masvidal and Kamara Usman slaying words back and forth. Uh, were you entertained? Did it feel like we're long time coming for this? Talk about it. Honestly, I didn't. Um, it felt like there was no pandemic. I, honestly, I mean, if you had been in a coma, you would wake up and probably have a lot of questions. But if you watched it and you didn't know there was a pandemic, you would have thought that they picked up right where they left off or something, right? Um, the fans were there. They were yelling. The trash talk didn't seem out of the ordinary for what these guys normally say. I will say, though, that I thought, and this is just my impression. I could be wrong. I don't feel like Jorge, he wasn't a, he wasn't a super assertive in this press conference. And don't get me wrong. He didn't let himself get run over, and he did the throat slashing thing. A million times, but there was a one point where Kamaru said during the course of a back and forth, like, you know, this dude's got like seven losses in the UFC. You're going to be the first guy on the track that I lap. So congratulations for being that. And it, it, I don't know. There was a certain kind of swag, if I could be honest with you, that Kamaru Usman had. Um, but it should also be noted that, you know, having the fans back to me, um, you know, enjoy your COVID culotta. But it, it, okay, that aside... <laughs> You can get a different reading because they'll tell you their temperature, which is to say that was a pro Jorge crowd. I mean, no doubt about it. That's the king of Florida right now, um, even if the belt is around the waist of the champion. But, uh, but yeah, it felt like the old days, to be honest. Nothing really out of the ordinary in that sense. Yeah, not a surprise that Jorge brought the – the crowd's enthusiasm because in a lot of ways, Luke, that's why he's back in this rematch opportunity. Yes, we had the storyline of the short camp the first time around and the largely one-sided defeat. But uh, here's what I love about this show, Luke. I love that we are loose and real enough where we're going to bring it real. We're not going to give you the on-camera response of, oh, this you know, was a really great fight, and then go text our friends afterwards and be like, this fight sucks, it shouldn't be made. I'm not trying to imply that with Usman Masvidal too. I'm also not trying to say it's 
necessarily called for right now. But it is what it is, Luke. Do you think this narrative that we have been rightfully circling around of, you know, there's more of a business decision than a necessary fight, is that clouding the chance that Masvidal is still going to be a live dog, still going to have a puncher's chance, still at 36, even if we're, suspect, you know, speculating that maybe that prime window is closing around him and can he recreate the magic of 2019? Has this led to us actually overlooking his chances? Yeah, you know, it's kind of, you know what's kind of weird is despite the 2019 that he had, uh, where, again, uh, one of our editors at CBSSports.com incorrectly believes that he was the, f- the fighter of the year. But at a bare minimum, obviously, you can't have a top three 2019 list of fighter of the year if Jorge Masvidal's not on it, right? He's a critical component, whether you have him one or whatever. But I am going into this fight, and I, th- I think you feel the same, BC. Not by, like, I'm choosing to feel this way, just because I naturally ended up here. I feel like... The Masvidal going into this fight, to me, feels like the 2017 one all over again. Very good. Going to give any elite fighter a really tough time. You're not going to run over him. Uh, he is a threat. You must take him seriously. But I, I expect Kamar Usman to just win more or less the way he did before. And I could be totally wrong. I have no idea. You know, the MMA is wildly unpredictable. But that's the funny part to me. It's like after everything this guy has achieved, I sort of my natural predisposition is to end up back where we were before BC I wonder if you feel the same I was going to kind of you know almost spin that back on you the same way I agree it's sort of like this you know the easiest way maybe to look at this fight is okay they fought in 2020 there was the short camp there were maybe some things that didn't give us the fullest accurate picture but I think we can all agree two things Usman's better than he was a year ago and I can't see how Masvidal could be better than where he was two years ago in 2019. You know, I don't know how he can reactivate that. And even if he did, that's where the questions get even more interesting because Usman's always going to be a really bad style matchup for Masvidal under any scenario. So even the less evolved striking Usman of 2018 and 19. Maybe he still beats that 2019 version of Masvidal every single day, and this is all a moot conversation. That's sort of where I'm turning back Mm. to. It's always going to be a long night at the office for Masvidal. I wonder, though, if we are overlooking uh, his his chances to do this here. He's going to be in better shape. He's got the full camp, all that good stuff. But, Luke, before we finally break down what it is going to look like, uh, we got Usman kind of mentioning afterwards the MMA fighting. He doesn't know how much longer he wants to do this, which is interesting to hear almost a Habib-like sermon come out of him of saying you know i'm lapping the field right now i'm so far ahead of everybody i don't know how much longer i can keep motivating myself to be in this shape and be ready so that's something to watch what about masvidal saying he's launching his own bare knuckle mma promotion was a game bread fighting mm-hmm. systems uh whatever mm-hmm. he's calling it good good use of money luke good 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 investment choice yeah here's the thing like in the <laughs> It's a funny financial decision because if it's a passion project, then who cares if it makes money or not? And maybe it will make money. I certainly have no idea. But the graveyard of very smart, well-capitalized promoters whose promotions failed in MMA or other relevant combat sports is is staggeringly big. Uh, it's huge how many people who were good at their job, had a good concept, and had money to do it couldn't quite pull it off. It's a hard place... I don't know. Here's my thought about it, BC. Again, if it's a passion project, who cares? But like, if you're asking me, like, what's a great place to make money? MMA promotion, generally speaking, is not going to be my answer. <laughs> UFC does it pretty well. Um, from there on out, it's a pretty short list of who else can make money. 
Very interesting point right there. I agree with you. All right, let's actually get into the X's nose of this fight. Uh, indisputable. Usman's getting better. He stopped Gilbert Burns in his last outing, which I think for a lot of us was an eye-opener to, oh, wow. I mean, we knew he was very good. He's great. Usman is a great fighter. And, Luke, it's rare that somebody is at this point with this dominant of a win streak that Usman has, 33 years old, and yet we're saying that. He's only getting better. I'm not actually sure where the ceiling ends. Do you think we're close to that ceiling at the very least? For sure. For sure. He's 33 years old. He is the champion. This is a guy who's very much in his prime. I don't know what part of the prime he's in, but he's in it. And we, we've talked about this extensively. It's a factor I think that Jorge is up against, um, but certainly he is not alone, which is aging in this division is going to be really, really difficult. It's why Tyron Woodley, unfortunately, he, he did achieve some great things, but he got it towards the late end of his 30s, which meant that his longevity was going to be a bit of a problem. Obviously, Kamaru is not quite there yet. Um, but yeah, I think that you have to question how much longer he can do this. And I will say that I think Whitman can still provide a ton of value. We, sh we shouldn't discount that. You can be at the relative peak of your powers and still have somebody, you know, reshape what you do, reprogram how you train a little bit. And that can, that can bear some pretty interesting and I think very important fruit in a fight. So I do think that he can make improvements and adjustments from the first time that they fought. But yeah, you're not going to get a dramatically different one at this point, and not one a whole lot better than the one you got. And to your point on aging in the division, our boy GSP seemed to get out of that welterweight division just in time at the right time, whether you thought he beat Johnny Hendricks or not before that exit. So as it pertains to this fight, Luke, Masvidal, uh, he didn't have the gas the first time around, but I, I don't I don't think the shots that he was landing early were doing anything to Usman, which maybe he thought they would. So... What's the best strategy here for Masvidal? It's always going to be a tough matchup. Do you want to see him go for broke? Do you want to see him lean more technical? Obviously, he's got to keep the fight off the floor. I wonder, though, if we're going to get, in contrast to that, Luke, a jazzed-up Usman who just finished Burns and is thinking, my next step on this climbing the rung of stardom is to get another spectacular finish. Why don't I try to do it to this guy? If he couldn't finish Jorge the first time around when he was more vulnerable to maybe be finished. I don't know that it's going to happen a second time around. I don't know if I want to try to go for it necessarily. If I'm Kamaru, I might be the Kamaru from 2018 here. I might just look to take this guy down and pass this test and move on. He can yeah. be a dangerous animal. Yeah, I think that's exactly what you're going to see. To the point, um, should be noted that I talked to the folks at Fightmetric, and they told me that uh, Masvidal's power when he went up a weight class was somewhat brought to life. He only averaged 0.15 knockdowns per 15 minutes of fighting at 155. He goes up to 170. He goes from 0.15 to 0.81. Um, he, he just hits a lot harder at 170 pounds. To me, it's like, could you win maybe on the cards if you're Jorge Masvidal? Without a wrestling and control-heavy style, that's going to be really, really hard to do. Not impossible, but certainly extremely difficult and also if you're Jorge Masvidal and you are closer to 40 than you are 30 I'm not you know his celebrity will give him some opportunities that otherwise would not be afforded but you also have to be realistic and say if you don't win this one what exactly does the path to another title shot look like in this weight class it's not going to be easy or if, if at all possible anytime soon and the 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 grains of sand are going through the hourglass the entire time, you really have to put it all out there. If he, if you're on your back, you either have to try to get up or work that guard immediately. You got to put as much volume out as you can, you know, responsibly apportioned, so you can be there if the fight goes late. But 
there there can be no stone left unturned. And I definitely don't want to hear about him being controlled afterwards if it happens because anybody could have predicted that was going to happen. Uh, you got to find a solution for that problem. So if you're Team Masvidal, Luke, you're obviously trying to disguise your explosive attempts to finish this fight. You want to keep your back off the cage and the ground subsequently. But is it safe to say from a filthy cash, you know, layman's terms here that if you're Masvidal, you're not in here to try to win rounds? You're basically in here to try to set up the perfect countering, explosive sort of uh, answering shot that can either end the fight or, or dramatically change the narrative? It's not that you can't take rounds off a guy like Colby Covington did it, but that was only because Usman was accommodating him in a way that he ordinarily would not, at least for not that pronounced an amount of time, right? to just be on the feet and trade forever like that. He just wouldn't do that if he doesn't have to, or at least didn't think he had to. I mean, you just have to be realistic, dude. Like, how, it, You're talking about a guy in Usman who he doesn't get hurt very often. You've seen him get stumbled a couple of times, maybe. Um, you've seen him get rocked a couple of times, maybe, which means it might be hard to do. But it also means that like, if you can put sustained offense on this guy, you're going to put him in a situation he's never been in before. I mean, for a guy as experienced and talented as Usman, if I had to ask somebody, tell me a place, so to speak, he's never been to in a UFC fight, it's the answer is, you know, rocked and having to really fight out of it. And I don't just mean for a second or two. I mean for a little while. Um, and the only way to get there is to really try and kind of put it out there. Now, what that in particular implementation is, a crafty guy like Jorge Masvidal can figure that out. But just kind of waiting around, and I'm going to stick a jab in your face and try, try to Yuani and J-check this, you can do that in certain fight, fights in certain divisions. But this ain't the matchup, and this definitely ain't the division. Uh, I'll tell you what the bet is. This seems pretty straightforward and easy. You're not getting good odds anymore to bet Kamaru Usman because obviously people have awoken to how great he is. Uh, you know, if he let's say he finishes Jorge in this rematch, which I, I don't think will happen. I mean, he's he he could end up being your number one pound for pound fighter come you know Tuesday morning or Monday morning, whatever. I mean, that's a legitimate debate. But Gilbert Burns finish notwithstanding, you know Usman will, will go with what works, and if he wants, if he can control this fight for round rounds and, and get the decision, I think he probably will. So, Luke, the only good odds you may be getting is I think it's minus one twenty five for Usman to take a, a decision. That's the bet. I mean, that's the play right here. Masvidal's way more defensively responsible than his uh, character and the you know the character he plays in the in the promotional world of this may suggest. But when he's going to have five round stamina this time, he's mostly going to likely be settled into a style in which he's just trying to find that opening of of a mistake Usman made or that one big moment to explode. He's going the distance, Masvidal. He's tough enough. He's smart enough. I don't think he's going to win though. I don't think he's got a great chance even to win because I actually believe that much in who Usman is. And even if Usman wants to play it relatively quote-unquote safe, I don't think there's much Masvidal do, can do to get him off of that track. Five rounds, unanimous decision, put it in the books, Kamaru Usman, uh, curse or not on the resume review, Luke, this fight's more about let's cash out Jorge's name quietly than anything else. And I think you know that's true. Let me ask two questions. One, how different would our assessment be if Jorge Masvidal had a Charles Oliveira-like guard? A lot different, yeah. Super different, right? Because yeah. then you'd be like, Kamaru can't quite retreat to the ground the way you think he can, 
You know what I mean? It would very much change the equation. I think that Jorge has very good, very good jujitsu. He's bad at nothing. But the fact that he can't really weaponize his guard in that way, it gives a little bit of room. I would say more than a little bit, a lot of room to a guy like Kumaru. The other thing I would say is, BC, I was thinking about this. Have, have we picked, other than Adesanya in any of the resume reviews we've done, have we picked the favorite? Because Jorge, underdog, the betting underdog. Uh, Woodley, betting underdog. Uh, Adesanya, I think he was the favorite slightly. Uh, what were the other ones we did? Miocic Connor was the fourth. Miocic was a uh, betting underdog. Didn't we pick him, Luke? To, and we, we picked him. And was Connor here. the favorite over Poirier? He must have been, right? Yes. Just because yes, he's he Connor. Was. So we picked only two favorites out of five. <laughs> it's like, yeah, no wonder they keep losing. They're supposed to. <laughs> yeah. Once again, That's we're not why. picking who. We're not necessarily picking who we think is going to win. We're trying to pick what's going to make the most entertaining resume review, which what is going right. to make the most clicks at the end of the day. So that right, sort right. of is what that is. But uh, Luke Masvidal is a different fighter than McGregor, but is handicapping this fight the same th- thing you would do in handicapping a McGregor Nurmagomedov fight? I mean, that's the same obstacles Masvidal is hmm. potentially facing here in just um, different forms. I think Masvidal is much more durable over the long haul of a fight than Connor. I think he's got better cardio over the long haul of a fight than Connor. He's definitely, and this is going to sound crazy to Connor's fans, but it's true. Jorge's way more battle tested than Connor, especially late in the fight. Like, there's just no points. denying that. So to me, it's like, yeah, it's it's similar ish, but I don't think that Kamaru has the nimble, quick wrestling, aggressive style that Khabib does. It's similar, but it's not quite the same. And I don't think that Masvidal has the same liabilities late in a fight at all that Connor has. So that makes it much narrower of a contest. Still a gap between them, but narrower. Uh, true or false? When Dana and Ari and White sell. All going back to the secret underground rich guy layer before the start of this card. Are they saying to each other, man, I hope Jorge wins. They're probably saying that, right? Probably. I mean, probably. Could you blame them? Like, if Kumaru wins, you don't lose because now you have a super special welterweight at that point. And if, uh, but if Jorge wins, dude, are you kidding me? If, I mean, they're going to print money if Jorge wins. They're going to absolutely, especially if they do... Uh, Jorge versus Colby afterwards. They do that tomorrow. Look, if Jorge is your champion Saturday night, Colby will be there. He will like they will be that the the posters will be getting printed, Luke, as as uh, the referees waving off that fight. Yes, hundred hundred percent. And they put that. In, by the way, one thing that Dana White also said because you have to think about it. Like they're allowing fans this weekend for better or for worse. There's not going to be many states that are going to do that. At least probably for a little while. I don't know exactly what the rules are in Texas. I think it's pretty similar. So the UFC is somewhat limited if they want to keep having fans in terms of where they could go. Dana White even said if Florida is, let's say, the only one in 2021 that is going to open up pretty consistently, we'll just keep coming back to Florida. So, dude, you could just go right back to Florida with Jorge and Colby, put that one closer to Miami or the North Florida, and, dude, you're going to make an absolute metric ton of cash. Let's say Jorge defeated Usman, and let's say they gave him Colby next, and let's say he won that. This is wild, but you think Connor gets a welterweight title shot before Usman does at a chance of <laughs> regaining his belt against a Masvidal? Only if he really shines against Poirier. If he doesn't, even if he wins, but like he kind of like, eh, you know, no. 
you got to go in there and do you to him what you did the first time. Just absolutely bulldoze him. I wonder you bring if that's back, the... He, he, you, know, you know what he needs? He doesn't need a win, BC. He needs Connor magic. That's what's yep. missing. The Connor magic. You bring that back, you can sprinkle that bitch on anything, and it automatically just becomes great. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot, it's a lot like ketchup in that regard, Luke. Okay? <laughs> Thank you. I, uh, I guess. Final bit of note on that. Uh, Nurmagomedov Connor 2 was obviously the great white whale that had motivated Dana White over the past, you know, two years, ever since the first fight, really, past three years, whereas I need to get that rematch to happen because... That's our, you know, Ali Frazier. That's our, our big one. Do you think Dana's mind and brain has shifted now to Connor Jorge under any circumstance? That's the next one. Because it doesn't seem like he's willing to break banks to making Ganu Jones right now. So is Connor Jorge his next lustful uh, pursuit? I don't think so. I think that's only it. I think they only are even remotely interested in that if lightning strikes and they can. You know, whatever, however tortured the metaphor is, catch it in a bottle, whatever. It, only if several doors that unexpectedly open up say, hey, you, now you have tons of options you didn't have before. Oh, okay, great. But I don't think they think all of that's going to happen, and they don't They don't need it to. That's the other part. Yeah, it'd be great to have some interesting, fun, crazy permutations, and we might get there. But even if we don't, the ones that are more likely, dude, I'm sorry, Kamaru versus Colby 2, I'm interested in. Jorge versus Colby one, I'm interested in both as rivalries and as fights, and how the two intersect. Those you can't lose with them. But to your point, could there be better? Yeah, sure. Either way, dude, I'm telling you, the house always wins, and the UFC yeah. is the house. It's a lot like Parker Lewis, Luke. Right. <laughs> I guess. Anyway, Luke, the co-main event is your best fight of the weekend, best fight of the night to get fired up. Uh, Weili Zhang, Zhang Weili, excuse me, is the correct way to say that. Defending her championship against the former title holder, Rose Namajunas. Luke Strawway always delivers two top five pound-for-pounders here. This has the potential to be a classic. You got the straight-ahead, aggressive, yet skilled style of Zhang Weili, and you have the more technical, let's say, thoughtful counterboxing of Rose mixed with the potential advantage on the ground. We'll have to see in terms of her great submission game, what she used to be known for. But I think the whole breakdown of this fight, Luke, separate from the anti-communism and all the storylines, is what's it going to look like? I think Rose is the only one capable of slowing Wei Li down, making her go to plans B, C, and D, all that great stuff. We could see five incredible rounds here. But it's Rose's mindset that is the key wild card in this matchup, true or false? It's Rose's mindset. False. I don't know why that would be true. Be well, let me tell you, Luke, because when she's at, on her game, she's the best strawweight of all time. You know that. Round one versus Andrade the first time around. I don't, I the, don't know the that. Two, the two Ioana fights, she's the best 115-pounder when she's, when she's there, when she's, when she's looking out from the top of the hill, Luke. But she slides down that hill, sometimes mid-fight. Her, her level of focus, that same killer that came out in round three against Andrade in the rematch, if we get that... She's winning that belt, Luke. She's the only one that can beat this young Whaley right now. Uh, I agree that if we get that and we get it enough of it, uh, she will be the champion. I will give you that, but let me just stay why I, the fight against Zhang Whaley, excuse me, the fight against Jessica Andrade that Rose Namajunas had told me a lot. Right? It told me that you're right. First round dialed in Rose Namajunas. 
is the best straw weight I think I've ever seen. Okay. But here's the problem with the way that all comes together. It's not that she's a front runner. In fact, far from it. We saw that in the rematch with Ioani and Jacek. As we talked about it, I think on Wednesday's show, that fight was 2-2 heading into the fifth, and Rose was the one who took control of it. So this idea that she just fades over the stretch is not true. But she did fade quite badly against Jessica Andrade. Now, Andrade is not the same as uh, Zhang Wiley, not, not even close. They have very different styles. But one common thread we probably should anticipate and could see is a pressure-forward style from Zhang Wiley. I don't know that she's going to want to allow Rose Namajunas to come forward on her. And I think early on, that's going to create some trouble for her. In fact, I do expect Rose to shine pretty early. You add in the fact that Zhang Wiley does not have good head movement, BC, and that's really going to be true. So either that's going to go down a cliff and fall off a cliff, I should say, for Zhang Wiley, or she's going to get tuned up early and then she's going to begin to make adjustments. And from there, then we're going to see who really is the best straw weight of all time. That, to me, that space, when she could finally get a better read on the timing, when when Rose slows down just a little bit by natural fatigue, and she can begin to get uh, out of that little problem area, that's where the rubber meets the road, Jack, and that's the part that I can't figure out what's going to happen. Well, you know, and I think that does actually, in the end, support my point. It's basically saying when Rose is jacked up and dialed in on there, she has the edge she'll need to have a good shot here, to be a live underdog. But she's going to have to control most of the terms of this fight, I think, Luke. I think that's the that's the wild card factor there because Zhang Wei Li is better than just describing her the way I just did, right? Straight ahead pressure. I mean, she can make adjustments. She's got great technique. She's got everything, Luke. She really does. I think we're just mm-hmm. talking about a supremely technical Rose when she's in that peak form. Uh, if Zhang Wei Li can make the adjustments and win this fight, and particularly by decision in my eyes, Luke. I mean, I don't know if she's losing for a while because this is the challenge for her. Yes, Joanna uh, was able to just stay on the same groove as, as Zhang and, and push her to insane levels, but I think that was more of a, a, a you know, maybe a necessary war of attrition that Whaley had to go through to, to realize exactly who she is. Um, if she can outmaneuver and out game plan and out technical rows while also being aggressive and landing uh, big shots. I mean, there's it's in play. It's the reason why she's the favorite heading into this fight. Then you're right. We are going to find out that she absolutely is the best in the world with potential to be a truly special fighter. And again, this all circles back to why this matchup is so good. Uh, do you have any, you know, thoughts of a potential stoppage either way here? Because I'm oh, yeah. expecting 25 full minutes. Luke, what are you expecting? Oh, yeah. Dude, both have fight-ending ability. I mean, it's just a fact. you know. And Rose probably a little more well-roundedly, although that's maybe somewhat unfair. But, you know, she can certainly take aggressive action, fight-ending action uh, in the grappling department, perhaps in ways that Zhang Weili doesn't. But, yeah, dude, these women are... Okay, you know, their last two fights... The last fights for each of them went to a decision. Fine. Um, and these are both going to be tough ladies to finish either way. I don't mean to suggest that the door, you know, the bottom can drop out at any time, but when you've got aggressive, capable finishers with punching power, with good cardio, I mean, it's going to take somebody special to stand up to that. So maybe they are, but even as good as they are, BC, I wouldn't be surprised if one of them ends up having to, uh, have a referee intervene on their behalf. It's just the nature of the beast when you got fighters this good. 
I don't see where we lose here. This will be the fight of the night. This will be, uh, has the potential to be dramatic, has the potential to just be an absolute classic mix of will and technique way, and all that great stuff. BC, real quick, yes. question yes, for yes, you. If, if you had to rank these three title fights based on your, uh, truly subjective, your level of anticipation for them, how would you, how would you redo main, co-main feature? My personal level of care. Yes. You know, it is not a not meant to be a disrespect to the main event, but I think that's the third most intriguing fight. And largely because we've seen enough of it up to this point, I think, to fuel our idea of what the second one will look like. So, uh, you know, I get that there's a lot of people that are just here for Jorge, and that's fine, right? You know, I, I want to see, too, if he can do something different and pull it off. He's dynamic to watch. But the, uh, the two women's title fights are the real fights on this card. I mean, this is the – I've said it. I mean it. This is the last time Valentina has a chance to be really challenged in this division until somebody comes out of nowhere and just makes leaps and bounds. And Andrade is a live, live one. And we know no matter who she's fighting. So both of these fights are – uh, in, on the women's side are insanely compelling for that regard to find out who's the best and be forced to uh, see them both make the, the right adjustments and show everything they have to get there, Luke. To me, I, you know, there's not the main event's not an exhibition, but it's closer to that than these two, Luke. Straight up. You know that. It's true. Believe yeah. It. I would say I would put Rose and uh, Jean Wiley first. I think you could put Kamaru and Jorge second if you wanted to. I agree with you, though. I would put the woman, the, the I'm sorry, the Shevchenko and Andrade fight as co-main, and I would put the uh, main event as third. All right, I chat down with Rose Namajunas this week on Morning Combat, and I encourage everybody to check that out on YouTube. I put her on the spot. I challenged her about the anti-communism comments and the overarching, you know, hints of racism that some people thought in the whole degree of, of PC culture and whether that was a smart move. We get into that. But, Luke, I, I can't dictate the, the terms and trends of the subject matter we talk about here, right? Joanna gets brought up. It just happens, Luke. Here's Rose's response. Uh, I saw uh, the, the aforementioned Joanna Young-Jacek mentioned, quote, the baddest bitch on the planet is coming back, and she wants the winner of this oh. fight on Saturday night. Uh, I, you know, I don't expect you to re have a big reaction to that, but if you beat Wei Li, you against Joanna a third time, I'm sure that's a big-ass fight to make. The fans would love it, but would you have the same motivation having defeated her twice to have to do it a third time? I'm always motivated to fight the boogie. So I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm, uh, that would, that would always excite me. Have you grown to love Joanna Young Jacek? Is there a party that's like, you know, she's spunky. She's, she's okay in the end. Yeah. I love her, man. She's, you know, we wouldn't, the, we wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't be the person I am today if it wasn't for her. And, you know, I love all my opponents. Uh, they're, they always bring out the best of me. Luke, I think we can all agree with that. I don't think I'd be the person I would be today without Joanna as well. So, uh, look, you know. The, you know what? The, I also would not be <laughs> the person that I am today without her lovely intervention in my life. By the way, how about those two Lithuanians right there just joining together, mixing cultures having fun. Did you see her mention, you know, I'm always down to fight the boogie. I mean, she was free and loose, Luke. That was like two old buddies hanging out, right? You're as Lithuanian as Mike Perry is black. Okay. Oh, wow. Wow. That was a, that's a, that's a dig, Luke. That is a good one. Wow. That actually hurt a little bit. So Woo. I, so, so no N words from you, Brian Campbell. Vilnius is the capital. Didn't I dead wrong myself on that one? Wow. Yeah, you All certainly right. did. Um, Luke, uh, 
Nah, well, you know, the conversation went went there. Everything's coming up, JJ. It is what it is. Uh, Luke, I want to get your pick, though. I want to get your legitimate answer here. Right. Who's going to be the strawweight champion come late Saturday? Man, it's the difficult one. Uh, I, I guess I'm going to say Rose, you know? And I, 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 it's a, there's the thing, man. I, you know, as well as I do. Dude, you get a title and then you lose it. Getting it again is very difficult to do. You know, uh, someone like St. Pierre, when he lost it to Sarah, kind of made it a bit of a formality in getting it back, you know? But even then, you were like, I, re I remember when the Sarah and GSP rematch happened, and I was like, okay, GSP should win this, but Jesus, like, that's what we thought the first time. and blah. You know, so that even as a sure thing, it was never a sure thing with this one. Listen, I think a pick in either direction is very easy to do. The reason I side ever so slightly, I guess, with Rose is that um, I do think she's going to have a lot of um, success early. And I think that by the time, either A, that's going to finish off Zhang Weili, uh, which I don't anticipate, or B, much more likely, that Zhang Weili is going to mount a serious comeback. But it's going to be a little bit like the Andrade fight where Rose kind of escapes by the skin of her teeth. Um, plus, wow. you know, the judges the judges are going to be listening to the fans. I know they think that they don't listen to the fans, but they're human beings. And there's going to be a massive gap in star power and fan sentiment between the main, uh, I should say, between the A and the B side um, and that one there as well. So, well, I guess I guess Zhang would be the, the A side in terms of uh, her rank. But you know what I mean, in terms of fan appeal. So... I, I tend to think it's going to play a role as well. I like that Rose pick right there. Once you go Baltic, Luke, you you never go back, I think is how they, how they <laughs> that, right? Something like that. War Thug Rose. Uh, interesting. Can't wait to see. Uh, the third title bout of that trio, of course, Valentina Shevchenko and former strawweight champion Jessica Andrade, who looked fantastic moving up to 125, stopping Caitlin Shukajian in her debut there. We've seen... Andrade fight and be competitive as high as 135 in the past before they had these lower divisions. Luke, I think the best thing you have to love about Andrade and her potential chances here, not only the fact that she carries that puncher's chance right at all times, she has legitimate fight ending power, but Luke, I always give Andrade credit, whether it's the first fight with Rose we're talking about for the title, or it's even her title loss to Ioana previously at strawweight, is even if she's badly out of the fight on the scorecards, Andrade does not get down does not stop trying to win. I thought she hurt Joanna twice late in that fight after a level where you were like, okay, I know where this fight's going. It's over. No, it's not over. That really could serve her well here, Luke. She knows who she is. She's a slugger. She's looking for that opening and that opportunity. Do you think that will create a very cautious Valentina? And I say that because Valentina's been so stinking dominant in this division. But the, the level of ability she's facing, I mean, it's been a drop-off. Sometimes we've maybe criticized her. I thought she's a little bit too safe against Carmouche, right? There's been, not everybody gets, you know, is there to be kicked in the head, let's say, like uh, like Evil Eye, but uh, do you think we're going to see a cautious Valentina because of the legitimate danger that Andrade brings? I think you will see her try to be cautious. I mean, this idea that, yeah, you're right, they, like, Shevchenko has this reputation as somebody who just goes in there and, you know, knuckles everyone into the canvas, and that's really not true. Yeah, if you give her openings, She's going to destroy you. That part is clearly true. You mentioned the Jessica I fight. That's one. But even some other ones before that, like um, the Jessica Penne fight, uh, you know, where she, or excuse me, um, uh, Pen uh, what am I saying? Not Penne, Penne fight. Uh, Juliana Cachuera. Pena. Juliana Pena. 
the where she was able to go for the arm bar underneath. Like she takes advantage of openings no matter the phase of the game. The thing that I would say is to what extent is Andrade going to be successful at disrupting what is almost certain to be going to uh, going to be a game plan from from Shevchenko that is let's just call it what it's going to be risk averse. I guarantee she's going to try. Uh, Shevchenko is. So the task that Andrade has is to, what are you going to do? You're going to out-technical this person? It's never going to happen. Box a brawler, brawl a boxer. She's going to have to go in there and rough it up and make it ugly. And I think she's going to have a very hard time doing that. She's physical at it. She's gotten better at it. And over time, just the amount of it eventually sort of means if you don't get finished, you're going to have a moment of success, certainly here or there. It's just a numbers game at that point. Still, as you can see from some of the losses that she's had, the close one against Rose and the one against JJ, it's enough to be dangerous. It's often not enough against elite fighters to get over the hump. I think it's going to be a similar dynamic, however it plays out in the individual circumstances, with Valentina Shevchenko. Luke Shevchenko's fresh off that title defense against Jennifer Maya, in which uh, I think we were a little bit surprised that Maya's level of toughness and even aggressiveness forced a, a safer, you know, not not a not a cautious, but maybe a safer side of Shevchenko. And I think we saw that illustrated in the work she did on the ground. I mean, Valentina has completely rounded out every you know uh, every edge. Crossed all the T's and I's. Her game is absolutely complete. Maybe even to a level that, for all the credit we laud her, we don't credit enough. Do you think she can slow down the danger in this fight by taking Jessica down? Do you think that's going to be part of her strategy after what we saw against Maya? For sure. The question is, can she hold her down and keep her down? That part, I think, will be is a little bit more remains to be seen. But when you've watched the takedowns of Shevchenko, they're well-timed. They usually happen a lot when someone's coming forward towards her so she can use that momentum against them. And, you know, she's got it from body lock. She has them in the middle of the cage, so they can't use the fence to get up. I have no doubt she's going to take her down probably at some point. I just wonder how sustainable that is. That, to me, is a little bit more uh, unknown. I don't remember ever seeing Valentina Shevchenko hurt. Am I, am I forgetting a moment? I think in the was- first Amanda Nunes fight, she had she ate some big punches. Good point. Early on in that, before she made that adjustment, yeah. I mean, I, we, uh, it'll be interesting. Again, what we're what we're watching for is that puncher's chance. Can Andrade land the type of power shots that can get Valentina off her game and open up some type of finishing opportunity? It will be fun to see, but the pick is Valentina all day, every day, Luke. It has to be. Yeah, I mean, you'd be foolish to say someone like Andrade has no chance to win this, but you'd be a dumbass if someone was like, bet everything that you own, who do you put it on? You, you got to ride with the champ here, right? Yeah, don't be a dumbass. All right, Luke, 261 beyond the three title fights. What are you looking at? What is driving your interest level? You like 236-year-old middleweights when Uriah Hall and former champ Chris Weidman <laughs> stare down? I got to tell you, I really do like this main card. I think the prelim card on this is, you know, not great. But the main card really is. I feel like you're getting a lot of bang for your buck. I do like this rematch from Uriah Hall and Chris Weidman, the first one happening years ago in New Jersey when Chris Weidman was just running through middleweights anywhere they could find uh, enough to put in front of them. But, you know, we're in a very different time. Uriah Hall has certainly had some ups and downs, but has been, I think, somewhat, at least somewhat reborn, training with Fortis MMA. A guy like Weidman got right in the Akhmedov fight, but is in tough times, I think, still. 
this is a very winnable fight for someone like Uriah Hall. I don't know what exactly it would mean if he won it, to be candid with you. I think it'd be good. I think it'd be oh, big it'd be blue. good, but like, would it really reshape your opinion of Uriah Hall? I think there would still be more no. work to do. There's more. This is more about gaining more momentum. Uriah Hall is on a three-fight winning streak to, to everything you mentioned. He's almost having a Derek Brunson-like older age, late 30s, kind of like, you know, new team, new attitude, add this skill, work on this better. Um, not going to get him a title shot, you know, or anything like real soon, but this could be, a given Weidman's name, I think a good advancement opportunity. And I think for Weidman, it's interesting, Luke. So he had lost five of seven before his last fight, all against elites, of course, but the, the packaging of the losses, especially the devastating ones, were certainly worrisome. Yet he looked fairly good, all things considered, against Akhmadov, right? I mean, he... You know, he moved well. He controlled the terms of that fight. Mm. But now I got Weidman going on, I think, Ariel's show and saying, you know, I'm a threat to win this championship. And I got a four-flight yeah, window before I retire where I'm going to win the belt back. And then I'm going to defend it once. And then I'm going to retire. And then, Luke, I see people tweeting under there going, yeah, I think Weidman does have the equalizing style for both Whitaker or Adesanya. Luke, what the hell's wrong with people? Yeah, I, I mean, if this was a Weidman pre-Luke Rockhold... Maybe that might be true, you know. Uh, there, was there a point in his career where I saw things out of him where if he said those things at that time, you would find them to be very credible? Yes, yes. I think there was a time in his career where he very much could have played spoiler in that way. In many ways, he was the guy who did play. He was the one, whether you you know, you know thought that the, the, the outcomes were normal or not, he was the one that ushered in the decline of Anderson Silva, which at the time was impossible to believe, and yet here we are. So, yeah, he has been that good. It's not like a guy who was never that good just saying shit. No, he was that good. He really was. But that's not what he is right now. He's had a – folks lose sight of this. He's not just older and had a lot of damage. In terms of the fights, dude, Chris Weidman's had a, a huge amount of injuries, lasting injuries too. Liz Frank issues with his feet and ACL issues with his knees and God only knows everything else with him. He's had a ton of problems and it's unfortunate. I, I, you know, I, I certainly hope he can have good quality of life when this is all over, but it has affected his ability to, to compete among all the other things. And so do I find that he's a credible threat to either Whitaker? I mean, Whitaker, you got to be kidding me. And, you know, certainly a guy like uh, Adesanya, you know, his last fight was not the most inspiring in terms of takedown defense. And I do think Weidman has good takedowns away from the fence, which makes it kind of interesting, but enough to win over time. Absolutely not. So, First things first, you got to get through Uriah Hall. And Uriah Hall is better than he has been in a long time and is training with a very good team that's getting the best out of him. Let's see what happens there before we talk about anything else. Yeah, Chris Weidman is still my son, but 2013 Chris Weidman's not coming through that door, Luke, anytime soon. Still an interesting rematch, and I know you're going to be tied to the TV whenever Anthony Smith shows up because you do, you do certain things like that, Luke. Uh, you moved by Jimmy Crew here? Yes, I like to give credit to fighters who deserve credit. Is that a thing? I, you know, thing? I, I get. I like to follow fighters sometimes for different reasons. But man, you love yourself some Anthony Smith. I mean, <laughs> if it was a drinkable shake, Luke, you'd put it in the blender each morning. I mean, this is this is getting. You know. Listen, I would swallow my pride. I would choke on the rinds, but the lack thereof would leave me empty inside. Yes. yes. Wow, turn it inside out, Luke. I love it, okay? Uh, I have no, Spider-Man I mean, moment. Listen, this is great. Listen. We could have been hanging out years ago. BC, I don't, I don't know enough about boxing to say if this is true in boxing or not, but l let me say something I have noticed in MMA, and it's something actually you see with the main event competitor in Jorge Masvidal. 
there is a class of guy in MMA who in the normal time frame of what the elites do can't become elite. So let's say if you start fighting professionally at 22, that in your first 10 years you become elite. There's going to be a class of MMA fighter who doesn't actually do that. Now, they're going to beat a lot of everybody else. They're going to get close. They're going to give good fighters tough times, but they're not actually going to get to that space themselves. But they will eventually, later on, find that space by virtue of longevity and making maybe perhaps right weight class choices along the way. Part of the reason why a guy like Jorge Masvidal is successful is, one, he was always quite good, not quite elite, but over time, the skills just kind of added up and added up and added up. So by the time he was still a viable physical threat, everything came together. You're seeing guys like Carlos Diego Fajera like that. He was never an elite lightweight when he was sort of competing in his late 20s kind of thing. But time just added up, and so he just got better and better and better. And his ability to stick with it over the long term in ways that a lot of fighters can't allowed him to finally maximize that learning curve um, in a way, even though he's a little bit older. You have a similar situation with Anthony Smith. Now, he's not old, but he's been doing this a long time. He has a lot of reps behind it. He is a guy who, yeah, he's probably going to be inconsistent at times, but I have a lot of respect for his career because I do believe he found himself in the right weight class, and he is one of these guys that slowly over time through his longevity has found out he can actually compete at a very high level um, when he is dialed in. Whether that will happen against Jimmy Crute, use your best judgment, but you've got to give credit, BC, to the super Achievers like John Jones, the ones who get there pretty quickly, like your normal sort of, you know, Kamaru Usman level champion, where he's there, you know, in his early 30s. And then there's going to be a guy that's going to take a little bit longer to get there. Uh, and uh, they can still do pretty amazing things, but people will lose sight of that because they get impatient about their journey. God, all, all you need is a trench coat, a boombox, uh, a rainstorm, and, uh, you know, in your eyes, Anthony Smith, the light, the heat, Luke. I mean, uh, <laughs> Say anything, brother. I think you just I said am it. Complete All right, let's. Uh, your eyes. Final bit of UFC news is Dana White was on Bill Simmons' podcast uh, over the last day to celebrate his 20th anniversary with the UFC and certainly plug 261. One interesting note, Luke. Uh, Bill Simmons was. I mean, he was not right on his facts. He was very casual, as you'd guess, in the ways that he's answering questions. But he was asking the type of questions to Dana that really surrounded, like, who's the next big thing? Who's the next, you know, pay-per-view draw two years from now? Who do you see as the guy? One key name, Dana said, Luke, Marvin Vittori. And then he doubled and even tripled down saying, look, I think Vittori has the potential to do things in Italy that Conor McGregor did in Europe in general, which is, you know, wake up an area and create new UFC fans. And then he mentioned that the Fertitta brothers, who are Italian, love them some Marvin Vittori. And then he mentioned Luke, oh, by the way, let me slip in some breaking news here on the Simo pod. Rob Whitaker might not be as ready as he needs to be for Adesadia's timeline to return. And Dana White told Bill Simmons that it looks like Marvin Vittori is going to get the next shot at Israel Adesanya. When you get there the way that we got there in that interview, does this, this make sense, Luke? No, and you know it doesn't. Yeah, that's why you're asking it. It doesn't yeah. make sense for Adesanya's timeline. If there was a... Well, you mean Adesanya's timeline that I'm, I guess the UFC wants. The UFC has a calendar they want to build. They're constantly building it in all times, and they want to get everything in terms of their title fights on schedule as often as possible, which you would imagine any business with that kind of 
business environment would want to do. That's 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 what they're up for. Fine, but uh, the idea that Rob won't be ready, yeah, he won't be ready by the insane demands that the UFC wants. But the idea is, if you're the number one contender, you make that fight next, even if it means waiting a little bit longer. You, of course, could not wait forever for Rob. But BC, I didn't hear about him having any injuries. I didn't hear about him having any lengthy medical suspensions. I've not heard about any kind of post-fight medical ailment that would otherwise delay a relatively uh, quick return to the cage. So what it sounds like is they want to have a middleweight title fight earlier in the calendar, and they're just going to bump Rob out of the way and give it to Vittori in order to accommodate an expedited timeline. Okay, you didn't just say it that way. Uh, yeah, just uh, that's what we always say. Look, if you're going to sell me the lemon, tell me it's the lemon, right? I'll, I'll squeeze the juice out with you, but let me know. Be honest with me. Don't Like Brittany, Luke, don't let me be the last to know what's really happening here. It's not that I don't like <laughs> A Vittori Adesanya rematch. It's not that I don't think Vittori isn't surging and ready for a title opportunity, but damn, Whitaker Adesanya choose the fight to make. Uh, can I wait a couple more months? I mean, come on, bro. I know, and, right. what Dana, and what Dana will say is, oh, we're not not giving him a title shot. He'll get one after this. You're just not going to get the next title shot, but that's, okay, I mean, that's sort of the point. Yes, I mean, if they weren't going to give him one at all, I'd be like, dude, what the fuck? But Okay, they're going to give him one. How do you, Jesus Christ, how do you not give the guy one? But, yeah. you know, everybody knows who that fight should be for. And I got to tell you, well, if Vittori wins and, you know, Vittori, and it's rightful, then fine. But do you really want to spoil how big Rob wow. versus Adesanya 2 could be? I mean, and you've got places, and it just so happens that the two countries that they represent have opened up a travel bubble between themselves for COVID, which means you can have stadiums and blah, blah, blah. You can do all that down there, and you might piss that away for a guy who, yes, I think, can you dismiss the idea that Vittori can't be that for Italy? I would not do that. I would very much say, let's see what he can do. We've already seen his improvement. He's still very young. He could very fights much like turn into somebody. I mean, I got nothing bad to say about him, Luke. He yeah, fights exactly. like a damn savage. But the yeah. last thing is, you've got something special between uh, Adesanya and Whitaker. Whitaker has done everything you could possibly ask a former champ to do to get another crack at it. He, it, it is a, yeah, you know, I mean, what are you going to do? It's just it, these guys don't have I'd a union, so here you, we go. If I had asked you 48 hours ago to rank the most likely next pay-per-view stars for UFC, I don't think you would have had Vittori all that high. It's not that I'm saying that there's no potential there. I certainly is, but it's just timing, everything interesting. Luke, quickly, uh, you made your CBS Sports byline sort of full-on debut this week. Can you plug the piece that people should be reading over there on cbssports.com forward slash MMA? Yeah, if you uh, if you do if you follow me if uh, Gaff can put up the lower third because I tweeted it out. It's just the easiest way to send it out. You can go to cbs uh, cbssports.com slash MMA. You can follow me on Twitter at l thomas news. I tweeted it out. The article is called um, Usman versus Masvidal. Coaches, analysts break down what makes each fighter elite ahead of UFC two sixty one. You know, one of the things that really stood out to me, BC, about the first fight was that not only did you not get the very best of Jorge Masvidal, you really didn't get the best of Kamaru Usman either. Because in the case of Masvidal, he took it on short notice. He had to spend all that energy to cut weight. He was not really himself. And then Kamaru was in good physical condition, obviously. But the late opponent switch made him, I think, a little bit risk-averse. And so you just didn't get the best of either one. But now they fought each other. Now they had a full camp. They both made weight today. No sweat, no issues. I think now you're going to get a much better sense. Whoever wins or loses... I do think you're going to get a much clearer sense about the upper bound limits of a guy like Masvidal 
and a guy like Usman. So I spoke to a few coaches and I talked to Fight Metric. It's like, tell me in your mind, if I had to, if, imagine I'd never seen these guys. Tell me why they win. Tell me what stands out about them. Tell me what in their games are special. And I spoke to Dean Thomas, obviously, who had trained with Jorge for many years. Uh, I spoke to Eric Nixick, Brandon Gibson. I spoke to Dan Hardy. And then I spoke to Fight Metric, Michael Carroll, um, MJC Flip the Script, if you want to follow him on Twitter, uh, to get better information about it. And for all the tape that I've ever watched, you could always learn something new. And and I certainly did. So if you really want to understand why is Kamaru special, why is Masvidal considered such a threat, this is a great place to start. Yeah, check us out on that website, cbssports.com forward slash MMA. All your two UFC 261 needs, betting previews, features, all that good stuff from Brent Brookhouse, Brandon Wise, and the two of us and the crew. All right, Luke, tonight is the PFL 2021 season opener. It's, uh, it's going to go down, Luke. Ocean C- Casino Resort in Atlantic City. Anthony Pettis in the main event making his PFL debut. William Hill, our partner's minus 588 favorite over the plus 400 Clay Collard. We teased this quickly the other day, Luke. The fight's there for Anthony Pettis to win. I love Clay Collard's storyline. I want to see the resistance he can give. But could Anthony Pettis be like a sneaky star here for PFL if he keeps winning? Yeah, yeah, he could be. Former UFC champion, ended his UFC run on a high note. Um, I don't know that PFL can make stars, but I think that somebody like him can still attract mainstream attention for PFL and for himself, especially if he wins all that money and there's a story to be told about that, which is you know certainly possible. Yeah, I think that both sides can certainly benefit from increased um, media attention. But I don't know that, like, you know, can can your local promotion make a star? Your local promotion can feature a star. Your local promotion can feature star-making moments. But, uh, you know, it's it, it, it is, the answer is yes, it's possible, but it's very difficult for smaller operations like that to just have the, uh, you know, media's bandwidth or even the social media kind of push to to get that kind of thing uh, happening so i tend to think it's more about just the paycheck but it's possible lightweight tournament also featuring the co-main nathan schulte against marcin held luke are you uh you're you have legitimate interest in this espn2 main card for featherweight lance palmer against bubba jenkins that fight don't blow nah it's all right you do lance palmer's had one of the most interesting careers in all of mma most hardcore mma fans couldn't pick him out of a lineup at all. There he is on the left there. Was a team alpha male guy for a long time. I'm not exactly sure his affiliation anymore. He might be at Glory MMA and Fitness, or maybe he's in Colorado somewhere. I'm not I'm not entirely certain. I haven't kept up. But he has won, I believe, two of these tournaments, which means in addition to all of his other earnings, sponsors and whatever else, he's also had uh, $2 million checks cut his way. And I don't know if any MMA fans know who this guy is, aside from the very, very, very hardcore ones. I've never seen a greater disparity between in MMA between earnings and popularity than this guy. Usually it's the other way around. A lot of guys will be really popular and you don't think that they don't end up making as much money as you might know. Lance Palmer is the reverse. He has wisely figured out I can make a shitload of money fighting these guys. I'm not going to be very popular doing this, but I'm going to get rich as balls and uh dude, it's it's a good hustle if you can find it, man. 
Absolutely. Uh, I'm gonna be. This is the this is the year I give PFL a try. The benefit of the doubt. They got enough names I care about. Let's do it. Let's see what you got here. here let me just say real quickly. Back. I've been watching the PFL product for some time. It's a perfectly fine product. It's just there's so many demands on our time between UFC and boxing and Bellator and everything else. It's just hard to fit in time. But dude, if you watch PFL, it's like watching one. I never watch one and think they have a bad product. I just, you know, I just I want to be. I can't always be one of 17 billion. Good transition into Wednesday night's one on TNT. Card number three in a four-week stretch of four cards. And Luke, John Lineker, the former UFC bantamweight, uh, he, he stayed to the script. He did what he does best. He sent people to hell, Luke. Troy Werthern was the first-round victim right there. Big right hand, leaping in for the finish. Do you think in hindsight, like, UFC was a little Luke. too quick? Letting this guy go when he... Let me see, he, wait, let me see that again. Let me see that again. I want to see something here if you can play it one more time. Let's see. Yeah. Uh, not. I think he's just an alley step, not an anchor step. But either way, he just steps out, lands that right hand right down the middle. Yeah, dude, I don't know why anchor. UFC let this guy go. It's wild. Uh, you know, they're, they're, you can see there's still something left there. Punchers always age late. Uh, seems to be in great shape and focus, Luke. I know there were some... You know, look, there were certainly flashes of times where you're like, Lineker could be a UFC title challenger, and he never really quite got there, Luke. I mean, I thought it was alarming when Dillashaw beat the bags off him. Like, he wasn't even in that fight, Luke. Uh, they were, they no. were miles away. Miles away. Yeah, but he was the kind of guy who was always going to give someone who, at the time, was very technical but hadn't been over the hump. Like, his fight with Rob Font. Like, that was a really important fight for, for Lineker and Font in terms of where they both were and where they were headed. He... I mean, you're going to tell me he wouldn't be a valuable member of the band? Can you imagine if he was still a bantamweight? Do I think he's the world's best bantamweight? No. Do I want him fighting among the world's best bantamweights? You bet your ass I do. So, uh, you know, if he's happy in one, he's making money. That's what's most important. But definitely I thought UFC, a little too quick to let that guy go. Especially when his record is 11-2 since 2014. And I just called up his wiki real fast thinking, okay, maybe I'm a little too more excited about Lineker than I need to be. Is he sneaky 36 right now or something? Look, the guy's 30 years old, so, you know, Crazy. he ain't done. There's, this Crazy. is interesting. All right, let's keep the train moving here, Luke. Interesting reporting news from the Athletics' Mike Coppinger. He was the, sort of the first to jump out there saying this idea of a Floyd Mayweather-Logan Paul boxing match exhibition which was originally scheduled for earlier this year then postponed he mike coppinger reporting june 5th in miami and reporting that it's going to happen on showtime pay-per-view the longtime uh pay-per-view arm of floyd mayweather so here's the sort of update on that showtime sports president steven espinoza was on the chris mannix podcast yesterday he came on and here's what he basically said he turned away some of the reporting of coppinger by saying the date's wrong the site is no means secure up to this point. It could be six or eight different places. But Espinosa did sort of confirm two things. One, Floyd Mayweather is going to box Logan Paul. And two, Showtime Sports is in business with Floyd Mayweather and will continue that, putting a fight like that on pay-per-view. Luke, whether it's that night, the night before, the night after, the week after, we're going to see Mayweather and Logan Paul touch gloves here. So this is a bit of a loaded question considering... Wednesday show where we're just like, okay, this is the last time we're going to talk about Jake Paul, Ben Askren, never again after this. But this is an interesting, a different sort of equation than Jake Paul against a guy with a name who's never really boxed. I mean, you sent Luke, poor Ann Eason Gibb to 
hell on CBS Sports HQ, by the way. And uh, he tweeted. He came back at you. He, 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 he fired back on Twitter, which was humorous to see. But, uh, I mean, this Floyd Mayweather, Luke. So some of the early reporting from Coppinger would be, what, that Floyd couldn't weigh more than 160 in this fight? And we certainly know that Logan Paul would come in with a, a height and in, in weight advantage and youth advantage. But that's about it against Floyd. What are your emotions, Luke? to this idea because it, it's going to do monster business. You and I may even have a chance to be there and do part of it. Who knows with our friends at Showtime. I'm certainly much more interested in this than Ben Askren jumping in. I mean, it's Floyd at the end of the day, Luke. Uh, yeah, but overall, I'm no more interested in it. I'll say this. I don't think, yes, we obviously I work for Viacom CBS. And so you can take that for what it's worth. I don't think though that it's crazy to say Showtime is going to do a lot better of a job than Triller in presentation uh i just feel like that's a very fair statement to make the no matter one's allegiances so i'll keep that in mind i just don't understand i listen how many how many fucking different times can i say this what on earth could be the appeal if people like this shit i'm not here to take it away from you you know certainly i'm not in that position here's what's different luke here's what's different okay well, number one, Floyd's different. He's 44, but it's still different. You're watching BC, Floyd. BC, it's a Floyd that is long past retirement versus a guy it. who's okay, never boxed a boxer. But the real difference, number two, is some of those Jake Paul fights. At the back of your mind, you're like, he's going to still win those. So if you're coming at this completely from like a cynical, I just want to give my money, hoping this clown gets knocked out point of view, well, Jake Paul keeps winning and keeps, you know, not bursting your bubble there. And, you know, basically just, just stopping you from getting what you want. Floyd's going to give you what you want, Luke. He's probably going to stop Logan Paul fairly easily. But there is that size difference. There is the whole interesting nature of, hey, Floyd, you keep knocking on these doors to make easy money. And, like, one of these times someone's going to open that door and be ready for you. Well, see, that's the thing, though, dude. Floyd, Floyd is so careful about this stuff. I mean, I've said this a million times about Floyd, especially late career Floyd. His timing when he took the Miguel Cotto fight, his timing when he took the Canelo fight, he was so smart about, I got to get these guys, not when they're washed. Canelo, excuse me, Cotto wasn't washed or Canelo wasn't good. He was quite good, but they weren't quite exactly peak at that point. And neither was he, right? He was making a smart decision about what's a competitive fight that I could be in that we could sell as a good partner and blah, 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 blah. Okay, but you can just tell, dude, he makes good decisions. The tension Nascawa fight, good decision. Conor McGregor fight, in terms of how it went for him, freaking great decision. This is probably the same thing. He's Listen, I will take, I, I said this on my live chat yesterday. If Floyd goes in there and does what he did to Nascawa, I will, <laughs> I will absolutely yank any criticism imaginable. I mean, if he just walks in there and just curb stomps him, I mean, you got to listen. At that point, President Biden needs to call Mayweather to the House and give uh, the White House, excuse me, and give that man the Presidential Medal of Freedom, the highest honor a civilian in this country can have. Maybe he should wear that shirt you're wearing while he does it, BC. But if it's just going to be something a little bit more akin to what we got with Roy and Tyson, while fun for romantic kind of reasons, in that in the former case, in the latter, like I just. What would be the appeal other than Floyd fucking this guy up? Which maybe will happen, but otherwise, well, I you know, I the, don't get it. There's the appeal of what would it look like against a bigger, younger guy? Could he land the shot? Um, okay, but like, you know, I don't think thing. Floyd is at that. Like, this, is, this, strategic. Is, this is the thing, BC. Either he, let's say Floyd wins or loses, okay? If he wins, what does it prove? Nothing. 
If he loses, what does it prove? Nothing. Either well, it shows, way, look, it's it empty shows calories. How, how how ahead of the game he always is on making money. So it's like weird. It's like I can't figure out if Floyd should be better than this. And what I mean by that is he's legitimately one of the best boxers of all time. He's the guy of this era. He's also the greatest boxing businessman of all time. So part of me wants to be like Floyd. You should be better than this. I shouldn't have to see you against a twenty-year-old kickboxer or a YouTube sensation. You should happily walk away and train people and promote people. But then again, it's completely on brand for who who Floyd is. Getting us to care about a big event, controlling every aspect of it, including probably in his mind exactly how the fight's going to end, knowing the ability level between the two, and knowing how to make stupid amounts of money for relatively small amounts of work. I guess this is really on brand at the end of the day, Luke. This is who Floyd Floyd is. super on brand. And honestly, your, your your point is, could Floyd be doing more? Right? Could the challenge be because it almost seems comical? It's like you're going to fight a dude who made his fame on Vine, who's not an athlete. I mean, he might be have some athletic skill, but like that's not really who he is. He's not a adult who has been spending all of his, you know, uh, teen years and early twenties doing nothing but training for athletic competition. Um, okay, fine. He probably could beat somebody better. But dude, Floyd, I'm telling you, Floyd doesn't make a lot of mistakes in terms of how he handles the the selection and the approach to opponents. He just doesn't. He doesn't make a lot of mistakes. And so, yeah, could he raise his game a little bit? Probably. But at the stage that it's at, he probably really likes his chances to do well, and I think that there's good reason for that. Uh, quick questions to close on this. Will Floyd Logan do more pay-per-view buys than what what we think Jake Ben Askren did. Well, I don't think that Ben versus Jake Askren did anything close to what the reported figures but, were. But even if even if they did, even if they did, Floyd's going to beat it. It's Floyd. I mean, Floyd's going to beat that number. Luke. It, he very well could beat it. There's one actually key aspect here about this. Whether you like or dislike Showtime's decision to, uh, as, as Steven Espinosa put it, put, be in the Floyd business and so therefore carry out this project, I do think it's noteworthy that a major broadcaster in boxing, yes, I know my ties with it, I'm just saying, because here's the thing, Floyd was going to do this with some fly-by-night operation none of us had ever heard of, and they kind of backed out of it, and the Triller thing has been definitely good for attention and the pocketbooks of fighters, but as we know, there's like a real long-term issue with how long they're just going to keep up with burning cash the way that they are, and plus there's some presentation issues with how you know it's, it's unprofessional to a, an unpalatable degree for many. But what if you had like a real uh, broadcaster, like a Fox or a Showtime or previously an HBO or a DAZN? What if they, uh, and I know DAZN did the previous Logan Paul fight on another card. I'm just pointing out if the major players who do more traditional boxing get into it, to what extent does that elevate or grow the product? It'll be interesting to see. I think that's clouded by the idea that Fox, which does PBC right now and has a pay-per-view coming up, they were also the ones who did celebrity boxing in the early 2000s when that was gangbuster rating. So final question, Luke, if Floyd beats Logan Paul, does he call out Jake Paul and do we get a Triller Showtime pay-per-view co-promoted monster event in which Al Bernstein cashes two checks and gets high and Floyd Lo- Floyd Jake Paul becomes the biggest fight you can make in the sport? I hope that if before we get to that point, uh, if that ends up being inevitable, that someone breaks into my home and shoots Ebola directly into my eyeballs. 
so that I neither have to bear witness to it nor live in a world where it does. Hopefully Anthony Smith will be there for the takedown defense to protect you, Luke. Uh, Final little look ahead as ESPN Boxing is back this weekend. So the well-traveled, the busy, the the entertaining Emmanuel Navarrete will be in the main event defending his WBO featherweight title against Christopher Diaz. Navarrete, one of those unsung heroes in boxing, always there, always busy, always defending. But it's that co-main event, Luke, that I feel has that must-watch quality when Edgar Berlanga, 16-0 with 16 first-round KOs, Luke, keeps the streak going here against Damon Nicholson. It's your co-main event, an eight-round super middleweight bout. Berlanga should win, but Luke, I don't know if you've seen these odds. Minus 3,000 to bet on Berlanga to win. And to win the, the over-under on rounds is one and a half, and the under is like minus 225. So the expectation is that he keeps the streak going. Um... But he also, Luke, you know, Puerto Rican prospect, uh, New York City ties. I mean, this guy, you know, friends with celebrities. This guy could be a star. He needs rounds, Luke. He needs rounds. As much as I want to see him keep sending fools to hell in three minutes or less. Man, if you guys aren't paying attention to Edgar Berlanga, he is a power puncher to the nth degree. Just absolutely shocking what he does to these opponents. I followed him on social media a few fights ago just to see what his life is up to. You're right, dude. Fat Joe is in the comments of his posts all the time. I think I've seen him partying it up with a bunch of other Latin stars as well. By the way, it should be noted, you know, not that I have my finger on the pulse of what's cool in Latin culture by any stretch of the imagination. I will say, did you see that uh, our own uh, Jorge Masvidal is going to, I think, walk out even with Anuel Doblea? Like, he's this big-time uh, reggaeton singer. Uh, he's actually, I think, he's hooked up, or he's boyfriend-girlfriend with uh, Carol G, who's a big Colombian star. But anyway, point being said is, uh, you know, the crossover in combat sports between, you know, music and um, athletes has always been there. But now you're seeing sort of the Latin representation of it, Berlanga, beginning to make inroads in it. And then our own Jorge Masvidal, going to have something of a celebrity factor there for himself on uh, Saturday night. I think it should be a weekly segment where Luke educates us on Latin culture. It's fantastic. Carol Yes, uh, as, I, as a 41-year-old with a straight white male, I feel most empowered to tell the world about what Latins like and don't like. Well, apparently, Luke, I'm wearing a white trashy and dead wrong shirt to the American flag, but we say many dead wrong things into the microphone each week, and luckily we have viewers who send in to morningcombat at gmail.com to tell us what we got wrong, although more often than not, it seems, Luke, they're the ones. We're dead that's that's the real beauty of this segment is that we get to dunk on the listeners. <laughs> All right, uh, both Patriot and Muhammer slid in and said, "Hey, BC on MK episode one forty six around the one hour thirty six mark, you said that Burj Khalifa was located in Bahrain. Well, I didn't say that. There was a picture of our Bahrainian friend with a building behind him, and I was like, "Hey, is that Burj Khalifa?" Uh, they go on to say, while it's in fact located in Dubai of the United Arab Emirates, not surprised that Brian didn't know, but for Luke, who is the self-proclaimed expert in the region, this is disappointing. Love the show. Greetings from Oslo, Norway. I'm not sure which one of those two guys actually wrote this one, but first of all, shout out our Norwegian fans. Shout out our... I got messages from guys in Libya, Algeria this Damn. week. We got fans all freaking over, and I love it. 
But basically, they're saying, hey, BC, you're off the hook because you were born in a factory town and you're a raving idiot. But Luke Thomas, you spent some damn time in Doha, brother. Know the know the skyscrapers in your in your damn Persian Gulf upbringing. All right. Yeah, you know what? I did I did botch that. Fair enough. All right, all right. I like how they did that there. This one I definitely did get wrong, Luke. Uh, Martinez and Alex jumping in. Brian was dead wrong when he guessed that Kaunas was the capital of Lithuania when yeah, it you is fucked in that fact up. Vilnius. To his credit, though. Kaunas was actually the interwar capital while Vilnius occupied by Poland during that 20-year stretch. Luke, I liked it. I, I was thinking more in, like, CCP-era days I must have been, Luke. Me Fair Rose, enough. You, you, know, you were really digging in, like, you know, is Richmond the capital of the United States if you want to go back far enough? I get you. Yeah. I get you, player. Yeah, it's, yeah it's, still, it's still real to me, damn it. Rose and I were talking Lithuanian history. It got Yeah, it was weird. All right, I'll take the, de- I t- I'll take the L there, okay? I haven't visited the motherland yet, but... Uh, I will. All right, Luke, uh, another dead wrong coming in from Vabihav, uh, Adrian, Omar. Hey, Luke and BC, thank you so much for all the great comment content. But in MK episode 145, in Have You Seen This Shit, BC says we have Zapruder film footage that just came in of how Shogun Hua really lost to John Jones in their light heavyweight title bout. And it was OSP? The clip you guys showed was actually the fight between Hua and OSP, not John Jones. That KO'd Shogun after he slipped on the skateboard. By the way, I watched that fight again, this man says, and in that fight, OSP landed eight clean punches after Shogun was clearly out before Mario Yamasaki stopped the fight. Clearly a super late stoppage. Luke, um, I, no, all, all, all dark fighters do not look alike, Luke. I, that was OSP, and I completely, uh, I don't know how I blew that, Luke. I'll take the L. I'll sit right down on the L. You know, like Ali G accuses people of being, I don't think you're racist, but you are racialist. That's not that's not fair. That's not fair. All right, uh, BC taking another L here, sent in. Uh, at, at a recent episode when talking about Robert Whitaker, BC said, you'd have given the nod to the ghost. But Robert Whitaker's nickname is the Reaper. Did I really uh. call him the ghost? I don't, I, rem- in- I don't remember you doing that, but that, that's one, see, that's one of these ones you got to double check. Yeah, this one didn't have a name. It did have a timestamp, but no episode, it's just the name. Our, our producer, Mikey Mormal, needs to solicit this information from these people better. Also, but, is, uh, the Re- is the Reaper a ghost? It's an apparition, no, right? I, well, I, it's clear I'm thinking subconsciously of Robert Guerrero, the ghost, who fought Floyd Mayweather. Uh. That's probably who I'm thinking of. But uh, Luke, last night on Ring City USA, NBC Sports, I wanted to say the uh, the drunken master, Emmanuel Augustus, and I called them both the drunken sailor and the drunken warrior. Luke, I'm washed, okay? It is what it is, all right? You're so dead wrong me across multiple networks, please. Uh, you should one just more call him wrong. the drunk. He's just fucking drunk. Yeah, he's just drunk. Uh, over there to, to Jared and Colin sliding in. On Monday's 419 show, Luke claimed that in Godzilla versus Kong, he wasn't expecting Lawrence Olivier in, quote, Lawrence of Arabia. Except Peter O'Toole was the star oh, of Lawrence yes. of Arabia. Yes. Alec Guinness, who we know, of course, as Obi-Wan, played the part of Prince Faisal, who was going to be played by Olivier. But Olivier was not in that movie, Luke. Take the damn L. All right. L. Here it is. L. Yeah. Is it this side? Right. L. L. All right. Thank you for the dead wrongs. Morningcombat at gmail.com. Be a part of our Friday segment. Also, our fan submissions on Wednesday. Uh, we love you all. Thank you. Luke, we have people that... They do services for a living. They're trying to offer us services. I mean, we have the nicest fans, Luke. I'm sure they'll, they'll kill you one day, but, that, you know. Yeah, they will probably kill us one day. But I will say also we've done some looking into the metrics. Half of the MK audience is overseas. 
half or Canada, which is not overseas, but you know, is not part of the United States. So we we are thankful for all of our uh, international listeners. Our UK audience, I didn't realize, was as big as it was. It's the second biggest demographic. Also, we're, we're strong in uh, Canada. We're strong in Australia. Luke, a lot of white people, unfortunately. Can we get... The whites get, The whites really do. They gravitate towards us. I don't know why that is, yeah. per se, uh, but they Probably do. Probably the like red, us. white, and blue, you know, anthemic, anthemic waves we do things here on this show. Luke, let's touch tips to close the show every Friday. Give a little bit of suggestion out there to the people what to look out for. Tip of the cap. It is called Just the Tip. Tip, tip to on tip. tip. Tip to tip. I don't even know what it's called, Luke. Sh- Luke, show me your tip this week, please. Uh, mine will be, like, it's been a great two-week stretch. So when you were not here last week, BC, we did it. And uh, I was recommending the 15th studio so- uh, studio album from Cannibal Corpse. Violence Unimagined has been very critically acclaimed. But uh, this week, we changed gears just a little bit. Out today is the sixth solo album from the frontman from Jedi Mind Tricks, Vinny Paz. Uh, let's see. I think it's called Bear Anything That Bears... Excuse me. Burn Everything That Bears Your Name. I've only been listening to it for just a little bit this morning when I woke up. I felt like a kid on Christmas. Vinny Paz, to me, has a legit masterpiece in his album, God of the Serengeti. But more to the point... Um, he has put out either with his solo work, with his original group, Jedi Mind Tricks, or the super group that he's a part of, Army of the Pharaohs, AOTP. And in any of those cases, basically since the aughts, he's been putting out an album every single year. He recorded this during the pandemic. He put out another one during the pandemic. Um, so this is sort of the second one of them, if you can believe it. It's an incredible work rate amazingly prolific artist and the new one out today go check it out all right Vinny paz uh look my tip is just a suggestion here i visited on thursday for nbc sports ring city usa the grounds of the u.s military academy in uh, west point new york look i gotta say i mean that is some of the most historic beautiful bucolic right on the hudson river the entire campus there's so much damn history if you get a chance i don't know to visit tour it attend a sporting event there i cannot uh recommend it enough luke i'm not necessarily somebody who's like you know dripping to see all this all this specific kind of history but you can't help yourself when you're there and looking around in the frame pictures of the famous generals and the the thayer hotel that, that has all that old school history that i stayed in i've seen football games in the past at mitchy stadium luke right on the water there it's an incredible experience we got to go to hayes gymnasium on thursday night for some very good boxing and here's what's interesting and funny luke couple points one you cannot go anywhere on the west point campus without seeing beat navy it is it is yeah. painted fuck in giant those, letters. Uh, fuck those army pukes, first of all. On every... Luke, I'm talking as soon as you feel like, damn, I'm seeing a lot of Beat Navy. You turn the corner and a room just... Ha- There's rooms that are built just to paint Beat Navy on the wall. So on the air last night, Luke, you know what we had as a guest analyst? No. No? Okay. WBO junior featherweight... Or see, a super featherweight champion, Jamel Herring. Right? Oh, Semper Fi. So I was like, "Hey Jamel, you know they got beat, they got beat Navy everywhere. I don't see I don't see beat Marines. What's going on here?" And he's like, "They're smart. That's why they're smart." Is that not a rivalry, Luke? Is that not a thing? Listen, the Navy may be our effeminate cousins in the military, but they are in fact our cousins in arms. Uh, so if you're a Marine, you have every obligation in the Navy versus Army battle 
to cheer for the Navy. In fact, you'll see that the Marine Corps Eagle Globe and Anchor, the one I have tattooed on my forearm, it'll be on some of the uh, uniforms for the football teams. They'll have it on uh, one of the sides in addition to having the anchor uh, for the Navy. And also, if you graduate top 1% of your class from the Naval Academy, you have the option of becoming a United States Marine Corps officer. So we only recruit from the very best. They are, again, the runts of the litter, but they are our, our litter, so I have to cheer for the Navy. So you and Ar- Army and Marines do not have a beef anywhere close to the level of Army Navy. That's that's confirmed, right? Uh, they, yes, is a basically a good way to put that. Yes. Okay. Uh, I, look beyond beautiful, and, and and I, you know, I got to call some cadet versus cadet inter squad scrimmage fights, and that was fantastic to hear their story, to see their passion. The inside of the arena, the upper deck was filled with cadets that were uh, really provided a home crowd feel, but. Uh, the only thing I didn't like about my West Point experience, Luke, at the at the security borders, it's intense. It is it is intense. Yeah. In fact, Luke, when you're <laughs> driving up to the turnstile, there's a giant blinking construction sign that says in Cal Caps, marijuana is illegal at West Point. So yeah. it's as if they were saying, <laughs> "Welcome Ring City, but hey all you hippies, don't you effing and bring your trash into our, you know, our nature setting here. This is so I know. BC was like, I know marijuana is illegal, but is it still illegal if I've put it in my tummy ahead of time? <laughs> they, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, Don't worry, great, marijuana. Great. I'm going to sneak you into West Point in my belly. Luke, I, I have to admit, like, I never wanted to, uh, you know, I, I don't envy your run and your life-changing run in a frat. You know what I mean? All you, you dirt balls can can go F yourself. <laughs> but, you know, I kind of, some part of me makes me wish I had joined the armed services just so, Luke, I could have that experience, that camaraderie, that the, that discipline, all the things, Luke, that, that turned you from an absolute dirt hole into you. In the Marines. Yeah, so, I, somewhat I, I, less of a dirt hole, yes. I, I, that's the only reason. Well, that's not the only reason, but that's a major reason why I joined. I didn't want to look back and be like, ah, oh, it would have been, you know, what would have been. But at the same time, when my time was up, my contract was over, I was happy to get the fuck out. So there you go. All right. you were, you were Did you have a dishonorable exit by any chance, Luke? No, I had an honorable discharge. I had the highest one. I've, I have honorable discharges all the time, Look, I'll tell you that much. Your discharges are anything but honorable, you absolute dirtbag. <laughs> Woo! Hey, another week of uh, morning combat is in the books. Uh, Luke, can the fans get a... They're certainly going to get uh, my coverage this week on CBS Sports HQ. In fact, I'm going to preview those fights the second we get off the air here. Are you going to be doing a post-fight morning combat live reaction to what goes down Saturday night? Uh, yes, fights are over. We're going to be here, and we're going to uh, we're going to just go over everything. And also, BC, it's my daughter's birthday tomorrow. She Woo! will be two, and provided it doesn't rain, knock knock, we're going to have an adult vaccinated outdoor birthday party for my little one. Does that mean that you will be providing va- vaccinations to all people who need upon entry to your backyard? Yes, three needles only in the dick, and that's the only way to get in. <laughs> You get the Johnson and Johnson, VC, you get the Johnson and Johnson, the <laughs> Pfizer and the Moderna straight to the hog. Yeah. <laughs> it's actually to the satchel. I only take Moderna to the satchel. Luke. That's great. <laughs> By the way, I'm, I'm not batting a thousand with the joke, but when I wait in line to get COVID tested before these fights, Luke, and I do the, Hey, I heard there was a rectal option. Um, 
you should see the the <laughs> the wild responses. I know sometimes that joke falls flat, Luke, but wow, hold man. Hold on, hold on. For folks who think BC might be joking, he's not joking. I have been with him in the room when we have to get COVID tested, and my man will straight up deadpan be like, um, do we have an option to do this in, in the butt? I would like to explore my options. And every time they're like, uh, we can just put it in your nose, man. We ain't, you, you can keep your pants on. <laughs> In Puerto Rico, Luke, they were like, uh, security, we, can we, ex- can we uh, export this man off of our island? But, uh, yeah, Luke, sometimes that joke slays, so I'm going to keep living. Okay, that's what it is right there. Oh, uh, Luke, thank you to you, Showtime, Malka, CBS Sports, all of our I hope I don't get fired for my Mayweather-Paul comments. That'd yeah, be bad. you'll probably get left off the, the coverage of the telecast, yeah. Luke. But I'll I'm definitely going to get left off the you. coverage, yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I hope to be there with a big smile on my face. Rock hard with emotion, indeed. Uh, thank you to the viewers. Look, you make this show what it is. Of course, we tell you like and subscribe and all that. But l- as much as Luke wants to treat you all like future uh, organ salesmen on the dead, you know, on the on the black market who will one day leave Luke uh, high and dry in a tub fighting for his life. Uh, Luke, we're nothing without these weirdos, and I love them all. That's well put. We are weirdos. They are weirdos. Let's be weirdos together, huh? Yeah, let's do it, okay? Uh, that For Luke Thomas, my name is Brian Campbell, uh, asking you to uh, subscribe to Showtime, showtime.com, 30-day free trial. Put a little forward slash Bellator MMA at the end of that URL, and you can not only get your 30 days for free, but $4.99 for the next six months. I know you hear that a lot, but, yo, where else are you going to watch Rumble Romero? May 7th, you're going to watch it that Friday night on Showtime. Boxing, movies, all that. Somebody talking to me. Uh, show store.show.com for this uh, Masvidal MK hat. You're gonna want to see that. The the bug guy is right outside my window. All right, all right. That's all I got, Luke. You got anything else? No, that's it. I'm good. All right. Uh, my name is Brian Campbell. Uh, watch my exclusive interview with Rose Namajunas on Morning Combat. And for my partner Luke Thomas, uh, I, I I thank you for your loyalty and your. Uh, All your gains, too, as well. Um, We out.